Let's pray. We'll dig into God's Word. Thank you, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, you, you preached this message, you taught this message in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for having Matthew record these words. Thank you that we can read them today and hear you in these very words and meet you in the truths that you teach here. So, Lord, once again, would you come? Help me. Give me, give me just the heart you want me to have. Love for you, love for your word, love for the body here. Just freedom from just myself. Lord, give us all open hearts to you that we would, we would just say, yes, Lord, teach us today. Holy Spirit, teach me. What do you want to say to me today? I pray that each one of us would be met by you in the scriptures this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. If you need a Bible, we'd love to have you have one to look on with. So go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring a Bible to you. Matthew chapter 5 is on page 809 in the the Bibles that we're passing out. Now we're working our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is one of, I think, probably the best known passages of Scripture there is. And that's the Beatitudes. Most everybody is familiar somewhat with, with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, it's interesting, I, you know, we're working our way through them. Jesus gives eight statements saying that certain people, certain people are blessed because of what they receive. Eight statements about certain people who are blessed because of what they Receive. And so let's read through them and notice what it is that these people are going to receive. We've got it up there. Thank you so much. Excellent. Look at what these people are going to receive. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's something that's going to be received. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were Reading carefully, did you notice that Jesus starts the list of what they're going to receive and ends the list of what they're going to receive with the same one? Did you catch that? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now why? Why start and end with the kingdom of heaven? I ponder that and I think the reason he does that is because in Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of heaven, which he also calls the kingdom of God, is the main phrase he uses to describe what we receive when we're saved from our sins. When we're when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. We're set free from the authority of Satan, from the power of our sin. We're set free from Satan's kingdom, and we're transferred into a brand new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Where we know him, we love him, we experience him. And so, he begins and ends with that general statement of the kingdom of heaven, and then the in-between list of what we receive unpacks what the kingdom of heaven involves. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a powerful list. And so look at what happens when we receive the kingdom of heaven and are saved. It means being comforted. Just like Tina thanked the Lord for the work of the Spirit comforting us. 
you will have God's love poured into your heart in such an experiential, powerful way that you will be comforted. You'll know your sins are forgiven. You'll know God is your Father that's comforted. You will inherit the earth. At the end of history, new heavens, new earth. Heaven is earthy, right? You're going to be on a new earth. And because you are and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, when he is given the earth by the Father, you're a joint heir with him, and you'll inherit the earth too. So good things are coming. You will be satisfied having our hearts filled with, with God's presence, knowing his love in our lives now and forever. You'll be satisfied. You'll receive mercy. We need mercy, right? What we need is mercy, and you'll be forgiven for all your sins, You will know God's mercy, all of his goodness, now and forever. You will see God. We'll be talking more about that this morning. And you'll be called sons and daughters of God, knowing him, enjoying him, fellowshipping with him as your father, your heavenly father, experiencing his love, his care, his his presence in your life. So that's what all is received in the kingdom of heaven. And so who gets to receive these things? Who are those Jesus says, who are saved, who will inherit the kingdom. It's those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that could sound discouraging. Anybody finish that list and say, yep, that's me. Anything else you want me to do? I got those down. No, because in ourselves, we're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness. In ourselves, we're, I'm not meek in myself. But notice, as I said last week, the order of the Beatitudes is absolutely critical. This is not a random list. It's not like you could shuffle the deck you know, and deal them out. No, the order is crucial here. Jesus starts with the one that everyone can do every single person in this room you can do the first one okay which means you admit before jesus that you're poor in spirit if you can admit that to the lord jesus what happens to you blessed are the poor in spirit for what theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's the whole package right there if you will start by coming before the lord jesus and saying i am poor in spirit I'm I'm morally, spiritually bankrupt, penniless. I have nothing to bring to the table that's of goodness. If you will do that, come before the Lord Jesus and say that, powerful things will start to happen. First of all, the Holy Spirit will go to work in your heart and you will move to the second one. You'll, You'll be mourning before God for your sin then. I'm seeing who Jesus is. I'm sorry, forgive me for turning my back on you. How could I have not trusted you? How could I have not obeyed you? Forgive me, so you'll be mourning over your sin. And what happens to everyone then who is poor in spirit and who mourns over their sin? They shall be comforted. You will be comforted, which means that God will pour out his forgiveness upon you. You will sense the guilt of your sin lifting off of you, the love of God, the acceptance, the favor, the forgiveness of God coming upon you. He will fill your heart. He will satisfy your heart. And you will find yourself 
I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You'll find yourself meek. I'm, I'm, I want to put others first. I've received so much. You'll find yourself being willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You'll find purity of heart growing. But notice the order is absolutely crucial. You've got to start with the first one. Jesus starts with the one that everyone can do. You, if you will, you can do this one. If you would, you can do this one. Just come before the Lord Jesus. And the earnestness and the sincerity of your heart say, I am poor in spirit. I have sinned against you. I need everything from you. I have nothing to bring to the table. I need mercy. I need mercy. I need mercy. And the moment you say that to the Lord Jesus Christ, supernatural things start to happen. The order is absolutely crucial. And everything else in this list will flow from that. Do you see that? Oh, this is important. This has been so encouraging to me this week. I mean, I've had times this week where I have failed, I have sinned, and it's just so freeing to think, well, where do I start coming back? Not trying to be good so that he'll say, okay, you can come now. No, just, I am poor in spirit. That's where we start. I'm back. A man who is poor in spirit. Help me. Forgive me. Meet me. Satisfy me. Comfort me. Change me. And he will. He will. He will. Okay, so we talked last week about how these first two enable us, change us so we're meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So this morning now, I want to look at the next two. How this works for being merciful and how this works for being pure in heart. So let's read verse 7 again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, what does it mean to be merciful? Here's how I answered that question. I just looked in different places in Jesus' teaching where he uses the word mercy to see if I could see examples to kind of you know, get some tangibles. And I saw two crucial passages. One is in Matthew 18. Remember the parable of the servant who was forgiven like $10 billion? And then he goes out and chokes somebody who owes him a 1000 And Jesus says, you should have had mercy and forgiven the slave. Mercy involves forgiveness. The second example is the Good Samaritan passage, Luke chapter 10. Jesus uses the word mercy to describe what the Good Samaritan does. Remember, the man was beaten up by robbers, left you know, in the dust of the dirt, bloody, beaten, torn up. The Good Samaritan came by, cared for him, put him on his donkey, took him to a little emergency room, got him taken care of, checked him into a hospital, said, if you, you know, I'll pay any other bills he has. So that's what the Good Samaritan did. So here's, here's my conclusion of what, what mercy is. Mercy means having a heart that longs to do good for everyone even if they've cost you something, you've got to forgive them, or even if they can do nothing for you in return. That's mercy. You have a heart that wants to do good for everyone you see, just want to do good, even if well, that person cost me something, or that person's not going to do anything back for me. That doesn't make any difference. That's what mercy is. Blessed are the, the merciful. Okay, a couple of examples. What, what might this look like this coming week? Let's say that at work, someone on your team doesn't do his part of the assignment and you guys don't get the project in Wednesday when it's due and you all suffer the consequences because of it. Okay? What would mercy look like in that situation? Well, it might mean uh, some strong words. It might mean some consequences for this person. Okay? Right? Mercy's not opposed to that kind of thing. But it also would mean that you forgive this person. You don't hold it against them. You don't nurture a grudge in your heart for this person. You don't talk to the other team members, kind of ragging on this person. 
It means you care about this person. You're concerned about this person. You love this person. You're showing this person mercy. That's what it would mean. Now, again, like I said, it might mean some strong words. It might mean some consequences. It's not opposed to mercy, but you in your heart would care about this person. You've forgiven this person. You're not holding it against you. You're not, you're not you know, slandering them, talking about them to other people. That's mercy. Another example. Let's say there's somebody in your home group. We, in our home groups, we try to become close community together. And there's one problem with close community is that it's a close community of, of sinful people. Right? That's the only we try to figure out how to avoid that. We haven't gotten that one figured out yet, but so there's a problem because when you get people together who are sinful people like all of us and all of our home groups are, there'll be times where somebody in the home group rubs you the wrong way. Maybe they talk too much, or maybe maybe they just don't you know, it's like they've got something maybe against me, or ah, oh, they just don't it doesn't seem like they like me. I don't know what it is. And so what would mercy look like in that kind of a situation? Well it, it might mean going to them and just saying is there anything between us? Have I done anything to hurt you? Okay, that's that's part of mercy. But but it, it would also mean um, just reaching out to them. You, you feel like there's, there's not a connection. You feel like there's just like, you know, some personalities you really click with and some you don't. That'll happen in all of our home groups. So mercy means you just you love them. Mercy means you care for them. Mercy means you sit down and talk to them. Tell me your story. How can I pray for you? You're reaching out to this person, even though it might feel a little bit awkward and a little bit difficult. That, does that make sense? That's mercy. Blessed are the, the merciful. You're caring for this person. One other example. Um, let's say you've got a neighbor whose husband walks out on her, um, leaving her with the kids, and isn't giving any financial support whatsoever. And they're there, your neighbor. What would it mean to show mercy in this Situation. Well, it would mean caring for this person, right? It would mean going over there. How can we help? Maybe it would mean taking dinner to them. Maybe it would mean having them over for dinner. Maybe it would mean um, what? Offering to babysit them. Maybe it would mean uh, you know taking them, taking or going doing some shopping for them. You, you you see them, you see their need, and you want to take care of them. You want to do something to help. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful means that in your heart. You want to help other people, even if they've harmed you in some way, or even if they can do nothing to help you in any way, nothing in return. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy from God. Now, one question I immediately thought of, and that is, you could think that what Jesus means here is, blessed are the the perfectly merciful, so let's just have a quick show of hands. How many of you have been flawlessly merciful this last week because you are the guys that are going to get God's mercy? Okay, let me ask it again. You must not have heard me. Uh, how many are, have been flawlessly merciful this last week? Okay, who's here? The one's getting mercy? Okay. No one here has been flawlessly merciful this last week. And Jesus can't mean that. One reason is because what they receive is what? Mercy. Okay, so you can't be flawless. If, what you receive if you're flawlessly mercy is some kind of like award you've earned. That's one reason. A second reason is, I was thinking this week, remember the Lord's Prayer? Remember what he wants us to be praying every day? This is his followers. He wants his followers every day praying, forgive us our trespasses. Every day, Jesus' followers need to ask for forgiveness from him for their sins. So following Jesus, this side of heaven does not mean perfect. So what this is describing is... We're growing in showing mercy. 
we're increasing in showing mercy. When we don't show mercy, we're grieved by it. We come back and poor in spirit, we mourn over our sin. Bring your comfort to me, please. And you're, you're, you're taking new initiatives to show mercy to your neighbor, to somebody in your home group, or to somebody at the workplace. If that's happening, if we are growing in showing mercy, then we will receive God's mercy. Okay, so how can we grow in being merciful? That's the big question. What do you do? So let's go back to that neighbor whose husband left her and left her with the kids. Okay, here's this neighbor next door. Now, but if you're honest, you look inside your heart, you may not be sure you want to get involved. Uh, maybe she wasn't the perfect wife. Having them over for dinner, the kids are terrors. What's going to happen to our carpet, you know? Right? I'm not sure we want to do this. And yes, money's short for us to make them dinner. That's like, what, 15, 20 bucks to do something like that? And, you know, and plus, I'm already like busy. I am busy babysitting. Are you kidding me? I'd like to babysit my kids. Thank you. Okay? So all these reasons why we might think, ah, I just, I'm not sure I want to get involved. So what do you do? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And you look inside your heart, and you're just not finding any mercy in there. You're looking, you know, is there any mercy in here for this person? I'm not finding it. You know what? What should I do? Now, what you don't want to do is what is so easy for us to think Jesus wants us to do, and that is you just, just depend upon your willpower, just with your will, just do something. Just show mercy. Just go ahead and do something. Grit your teeth and do it. The problem with that is it's not real. It's not from the heart. It won't last and it gets tired, tiring gritting your teeth for that long, okay? It's, it's not easy if you're relying on your willpower to do these things. We need a change of heart, right? Don't you want a change of heart? Wouldn't you love to look inside your heart and say, mercy there. I want to care for this woman and her kids. So what do we do? Who knows what the answer is? The order of the Beatitudes is crucial here, right? We start by turning to Jesus, and we admit, I'm poor in spirit. I don't really feel any mercy for this woman right now at all. Help me. I'm poor in spirit. I bring nothing to the table. Jesus, help me. Forgive me for my lack of mercy. I'm sorry. It's wrong. Change me. And here's what will happen. Jesus guarantees it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you come before the Lord Jesus and you are poor, acknowledge you're poor in spirit and you mourn for your sin, supernatural things start to happen. He will pour out upon you His Holy Spirit. And you will feel His forgiveness for you. You will feel His assurance coming upon you. Your heart will be satisfied and filled in His love for you. You will sense His pleasure in you. Your heart will be overflowing with love, overflowing with care, overflowing with mercy. Your heart will be changed. A human being who comes before the Lord Jesus and says, I'm poor in spirit. Forgive me for my sin. I trust you, Jesus. Your death on the cross. I trust your forgiveness. Help me. You will be so profoundly comforted that mercy will flow out of your heart for the people that are around you. That's what Jesus is saying here. So the order of the Beatitudes is crucial. They all start with being poor in spirit, and that flows into mourning. And what comes from that is powerful comfort. Now, understanding the order is really crucial for another reason. Because there's a terrible misunderstanding that kind of man-made religion does with the Beatitudes. I mean, you can read 
blessed are the poor in spirit, I'm sorry, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And you could think, okay, this is how God's got it set up. If I'll just be merciful now, then God's going to give me mercy. So the way to get God's mercy is I've got I've to become merciful. So I'm going to do this good thing and do this merciful thing and do this compassionate thing, and then God will give me mercy. That's how religion works. I do good stuff, and God rewards me with mercy. Is that how Christianity works? Not at all, which is wonderful news because none of us can do that. We've got to go back to the first beatitude. I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning over my sin. And at that point, by faith alone, before we've done anything except to say, I'm poor in spirit, I'm mourning for my sin, before you've done anything, you start to change. Mercy comes at that point before you've done anything good. Mercy comes. You've already received mercy. He's comforting you. He's changing you. And then as he's comforting you and changing you, you start to do merciful things. And as you say, whoa, I'm doing merciful things. He's changing me. And so because I'm seeing him changing me, I'm doing merciful things, that shows me he has saved me. He is changing me, which shows me that I've got mercy coming. I've got mercy going. But you don't do merciful things in order to earn mercy from God. The doing of the merciful things show you, shows you that you will receive mercy because that shows that you've been changed by his mercy already. Did you catch that? I was like, how long was that sentence? That was like a really, really long sentence. Okay, comma, comma, comma. Okay. It's not that it starts with you trying to be good and then because you're good, you get mercy. You can't do that. It starts with you acknowledging that you're not good. Okay? And if you mourn before Jesus and put your trust in him, mercy comes then before you've done anything good. His mercy changes you. You start to do good because his mercy is already changing you and the fact that his mercy is changing you shows I'm receiving mercy which shows I'm saved. I'm assured of that which I'm assured I'm going to continue receiving mercy because of what happened back there. That was almost as long. But anyway, I hope you get the point. All right. That's how we grow in being merciful. The order of the Beatitudes is absolutely critical. Okay. That's merciful. So let's do this this week. Every day, start off the day coming before the Lord Jesus and just saying, here I am. In myself, I can't do anything good. I need your mercy afresh. Forgive me for my sin. I'm mourning for my sin. I'm trusting you, Jesus, as my Lord. I'm trusting you as my Savior. I'm trusting you as my treasure. When you do that, when any human being does that before the Lord Jesus, supernatural things start to happen, and you will have an outpouring of his comfort an outpouring of his forgiveness, an outpouring of his love, and your heart will be changed. And you will care for the person on your team who has messed up the project for you all. You will care for the person in your home group that you're not connecting quite as well with. You will care for the person next door to you who's in need. Okay, next question. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does pure in heart mean? Here's how I answered that question. I just looked at all the places in Jesus' teaching where he talks about our hearts, where he uses the word heart to see what does he want for our hearts. That's what purity in heart would be. Here's what he wants. He wants us to be free. This is chapter 5, verse 28. Free from adultery in our hearts. So free from lust. He wants us to be free from the love of money in our hearts. That's chapter 6, verse 21. So free from greed. He wants us to honor God in our hearts, chapter 15. He wants our hearts to be free. He has a whole list in chapter 15, verse 19. Free from evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. That's chapter 15. And then one more, the most important one, 
chapter 22, verse 37. He wants us to love God with all of our hearts. So I put these all together, and here's, here's my definition of purity in heart. It means having your heart filled with love for God and what flows from love for God. Having your heart filled with love for God and then what flows from love for God. So you're not lustful. You're not racist. You're not proud. You're not worried. There's joy. There's peace. There's care. There's mercy. So your heart's filled with love for God and, and what flows from love for God. Okay, here's a question somebody raised this last week. Such an important question. I'm supposed to be full of love for God, right? Okay? Right? Right. Just got to wake up. Okay. Now, Thursday, Phil Wright and I were eating veggie burritos at Tacos Al Pastor. Okay? Remember that, Phil? And, and I was loving, Phil was too, we were loving these veggie burritos. So if I'm loving this veggie burrito, it's like, Fuller, you're supposed to be pure in heart. Okay? You can't love that veggie burrito. You've got to love God. Am I, am I pure in heart while I'm enjoying and loving a veggie burrito? Maybe. Okay? You can be. If, and this is what Phil and I were talking about, what an amazing God. He'd make veggies. And he'd make whole wheat tortillas. You had one of those too, right? I think we both had whole wheat tortillas, okay? And he made, God made guacamole. And he made salsa. And he made cheese. And rice was in there. What else was in there? Anyway, it was amazing, whatever it was. Okay, it all kind of came together. And so if we let this gift from God, the veggie burrito, show us how great God is so we enjoy this and love him all the more in the enjoyment of this, are our hearts pure? Yes. Okay? Another example. Some of you enjoyed the weather this last week and went to the beach. And as you were putting your toes in the sand, okay, and the sun was warming your face and your kids were playing at the beach and you were just, you were loving being there. You were loving the beach. You were loving the weather. You were loving having your kids play. Like, you're supposed to love God. Stop that. Right? Wrong. If you take all these good gifts, God, you made beaches for us. And you made sand. You made toes to do that in sand, right? And, and here our kids can enjoy this. You are awesome. And so you let the goodness of these gifts from God show you even more God's goodness so they increase your love for God even more. So please don't think that to love God, to be pure in heart, you've got to be free from every other love or every other joy than just love for God and joy in God. Not the case at all. God gives us lavish good gifts so that we can see even more of his goodness in them, enjoy them, and cause them to increase our joy in him and our love for him even more. That's purity in heart. So purity in heart means having a heart filled with love for God and whatever flows from love for God. So your heart is free from worry, right? It's free from bitterness or jealousy. It's free from greed, those kinds of things full of love for God and what flows from love for God. Now again, I've got to say, Jesus can't mean here that it's only those who are perfectly pure in heart who will see God. Same reason, Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses today again as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he's not talking about perfect purity in heart. What he's talking about here is is increasing purity of heart. We're growing in loving God more than anything else. We're growing in that. Okay? So is your heart growing in, in loving God more than anything else? Increasing in loving God more than anything else? So how do we do that? How can we purify our hearts? This is really important 
Jesus wants us to feel the weightiness of this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who are growing in purity of heart will see God. So how can we grow in that? Let's say you look inside your heart and like there's some jealousy in there. There's some greed in there. Ah, oh no, there's some, like some bitterness in there. Here's some heart impurities. So what do you do when you find heart impurities inside of you? What Jesus doesn't want us to do is to say, okay, I've got to really try hard not to be jealous. I'm just going to like think about something else. I know I'm jealous about that person at work. I, mean, I, just, I shouldn't be jealous. Stop being jealous, Steve. Think about something else. That's not what Jesus... You don't remove impurities from your heart by, by like trying to pull them out. The way to remove the impurities of your heart is by going back to the first beatitude. It all goes back here. Here I am. I'm poor in spirit. I've got bitterness. I've got jealousy. I've got some greed and some lust, maybe. Here I am. I'm poor in spirit. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm mourning over that sin. Would you do what you've promised and bring your comfort to me now? Pour your love out upon me now. Pour out your forgiveness upon me now. And see, what will happen is when, when you do that, Jesus promises you will be comforted. Do you guys see that there in the passage? Is it up there? Notice, everyone who mourns, everyone who mourns, what's going to happen to them? They'll be comforted. Do you believe that? Everyone who mourns for their sin before Jesus will be comforted. Will be comforted. God will pour his Holy Spirit out upon you, just like, again, Tina shared this morning, and you will be comforted. You will sense his love for you. You will feel his forgiveness coming upon you. You will see his favor filling your heart, satisfying your heart. And what God does in in filling you and satisfying that way is that you'll love God more than anything. You won't. You'll be set free from lust. I mean, why pursue that when I've got him? You'll be so satisfied and at peace in God, you won't be able to be angry. When God pours his love into your heart, your heart will change. Love for God will rise. Impurities will be washed out. But you see, you don't do it by gritting your teeth, trying not to think the impure things. You change by coming before the Lord and saying, I'm I'm needy. I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning. That's how we grow. So what I would encourage you to do is every day this week, or whenever you find heart impurities inside of you, as soon as you can, just turn towards the Lord and say, I'm back. Me, poor in spirit me, I'm back, I'm sorry, comfort me, fill me. Jesus, I trust you, your death on the cross. I trust your love for me, I trust your redemption. Pour your favor out upon me, pour your love into my heart. Let me feel and sense your comfort. Let that sense of guilt lift and let your forgiveness come, and he will do that. You'll taste again of that living water that somebody else mentioned earlier. You'll taste again of the the living water of God's presence satisfying your heart thirst and you will love him and your love for him will rise. And here's what you'll have. What will happen if you're pure in heart? What will happen to those who are pure in heart? They will see God. Will every follower of Jesus see God? Yes. Absolutely. Which means that everyone who trusts Jesus Christ, everyone who starts that first beatitude, you will have growing purity of heart and you will see God. Okay? Do you have growing purity of heart? Okay? First beatitude. Second beatitude. And you can be absolutely confident that you will see God. Every saved person is growing in purity of heart 
and they will see God. And what does that mean? Thought about it like this. You know, people travel thousands of miles, pay thousands of dollars to go see the Mona Lisa, right? Or to go see the Super Bowl, right? Or to go see Yosemite. People pay thousands of dollars, travel thousands of miles to, to go be... And the reason is because our highest joys come from beholding greatness. When you see something that's great, awesome, it's like, yes! Our highest joys come from beholding greatness. God is the greatest greatness. And Paul says that everyone who's trusting Jesus, we see God in this life through a mirror dimly, right? We see him through a mirror dimly. So we see him, but it's dim in this life. But, oh, we, but even a dim view of God in this life through the scriptures imparted by the Spirit is better than anything else. But we, so we do see him in this life, but it's just through a mirror dimly. But then we will see what? Face to face. So now we see him dimly, then we will see him face to face. So just imagine, just imagine you're trusting Jesus Christ, you're admitting I'm, I'm poor in spirit, you're mourning over your sin. You will have the time coming in your future when you will see God face to face. Right there. You and him, mano a mano, right, right there, face to face. And just think of what that will mean to see with your own eyes the one who has been from eternity past with no beginning. This being who's always been seeing him. The one who, who with a word, just one word, let there be. Three words, okay? Let there be. Created this universe, which we've talked about this before, has over 50 million, 100,000 light years wide galaxies in it. And he spoke all that with the word to, to see this being before your eyes whose word created that. Even more powerful, I was thinking about this week, to see the one who's all that. He's been from before time. He's created everything. And that he is the one who would become a, a baby. Be born as a baby. And grow up as a man. So he could die on the cross because he loves you. Because he wants to save you. Because he cares. This massive, awesome, incredible, powerful, wise, perfect God cares about you, wants to show mercy to you, so he's willing to endure the wrath that you deserve for your sin by being born as a man and dying on a cross, you're going to see him. So imagine what that's going to be like to stand before him and see him. And then, even better, is what you're going to see in his eyes. He's going to look at you and he's going to be so glad that you're home. He's going to have such love in his eyes for you. He's going to be so full of joy that you're here. He's going to be so delighted that you've been forgiven for your sins, that you've been saved, that you've been redeemed. He's going to be so full of joy for you as he wipes every tear from your eyes and knowing that now you forever, no more weeping, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, you're going to see him. And you're going to see all of that in his heart, expressed in his eyes towards you, love and care and delight. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So you, as you're trusting Jesus Christ, will have in your future this time where you see God. Absolutely guaranteed. You will, 
if, if you're pure in heart. So Jesus says, right? Okay, so what do you do to get pure in heart? Oh no. You have no reason to be concerned about this if you will simply live at the foot of the cross. If you will just simply live at that place where you say, help me. There's impurities that are coming back. Help me. I'm sorry. Jesus, I trust you. I look to you. And if you will live there, he will pour his comfort out upon you. He will satisfy you. He will fill you. He will strengthen you. And you will see your your purity of heart growing, growing, growing. What we need to do is live in those first two beatitudes and the rest will all come as a result. This is the gospel. Look, every single one of us here, we can admit before God that we're poor in spirit. And you can mourn over your sin. That's the requirement. Trust him, Savior, Lord. Forgive me, here I am, I'm back. Help me, help me. And he will go to work and he will change you and he will fill you and he will satisfy you. And you will have times where you come mourning before him, admitting that you're poor in spirit and he will pour his love into your heart. He will fill you with his grace. He will satisfy you with his mercy. He will make his presence real to you in your experience. And you will get up from that time full and humbled and joyful and peaceful and strong and comforted and ready. But some of you, I, 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 I'm praying that as I'm saying these words, there's a, something stirring in your heart. I want more of that. I want more of that. And here's what I want to do in closing. If that's in your heart, just stand up right where you are. I just want to pray over you and ask God, this week, Lord, this week, pour out even more of your grace and your mercy and your nearness and your comfort upon us. Even more, Lord. Just, just pour it out upon us. And let's ask that this week... In, in the Lord would just be a... I mean, some of you are already experiencing that lots, and that's great. But if, if in your heart right now, you're, you're... Lord, I want more. I want more. So, Lord, I, I just pray right now for, for us. I ask, Lord, that this week would be a, a, a turning point in, the, in, in our lives, individually, in our life as, as a church. I pray, we pray together, that as this week we come before you, and admit that we're poor in spirit. And as we come before you and as we mourn for our sin and ask you to forgive us and confess to you, and just like you promised, we would be comforted. Would you do that, Lord? We ask in Jesus' name, pour your comfort upon us. Pour your love into our hearts. Pour your forgiveness upon us. Fill us with your favor. Fill us with your loving kindness. Strengthen us in your promises. Let us see you and feel your nearness and know you in, in the word so that we would be changed then. And just like, like you will do, Lord, that we'd have growing purity of heart. We'd have growing mercy towards others. We would be meek, as we saw last week. We'd be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. All the things you promised to do as we come before you. So God, do this, I pray, in me In us, come, we ask in Jesus' name, with your power. Come, Lord. Please bless your name. What an amazing thing, Jesus, that you'd start off with one that we can all do. Easily, if we just would. 
So strengthen us in that and then pour out your grace upon us, God, I pray. Thank you. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your presence here. God, I pray that you also work in our hearts then. Just mercy, Lord, even right now. Who do you want us to show mercy to? Somebody in our home group? Somebody in our family? Husband? Wife? Parent? Child? Workplace? Neighborhood? Who do you want us to show mercy to? And then, Lord, let there be just a growing purity of heart as you pour your love into us. That our love for you would grow. That Friday we would be loving you more than we did last week and the next week more than this next week. And do that, Lord, I pray. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that all we need to do is come to you, humble ourselves before you, and trust you. And supernatural things happen. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.